Good morning. If you wanted to explain Christianity to someone who didn't know much about it, what would you do? I suppose, if you're a Christian, you've been around church for a while, you think, I need to tell them about Jesus, because that's what we're always talking about. And you might think, maybe I will share some stories from the Bible, maybe give them a copy of the Bible or a gospel uh, to read for themselves. Maybe I'll invite them along to church. Maybe someone's done that uh, for you this morning. They've said, why don't you come along and see what it's all about? Or along to their midweek small group. Uh, If they're a person who's got uh, lots of questions, you might want to try a book uh, about apologetics, answers to the big questions that people have that Christianity gives good answers to. Or, as we've heard today, you could invite them on the Alpha course or onto Paths of Disciples. There are loads of ways for someone to find out about Christianity. I wonder if one of the options for you would be inviting your friend to a wedding. It probably isn't what you would first think. How can I explain Christianity to someone? I know, I'll invite them along to a wedding. Well, I think there's more to a wedding than perhaps at first meets the eye. From the very beginning to the very end, marriage features prominently in the Bible. In the creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, they uh, climax with the wedding of the first man and woman, and that then points towards many more which are to come. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man, sh- therefore, so having seen Adam and Eve get together, the writer then says, Therefore... A man, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God repeatedly refers to his relationship with his people as a marriage. When they go after other gods, when they turn away from him and from obeying him, he describes that as adultery. And when he describes his love for them and his feelings towards them, he uses this greatest of our loves to explain it. Isaiah 62 verse 5, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. When Jesus came to earth to fulfill God's great plan of rescue, to make it possible for us to be united with God, he referred to himself as the bridegroom. And at the very end of the story, in Revelation 21, there's another wedding. John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, that's God's people, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, That's Jesus. And so eternity begins, the Bible tells us, with a massive wedding celebration. And in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is what we're studying at the moment, we get this verse which explicitly connects marriages on earth with the marriage to come. And uh, so marriage today serves as a symbol of the story that we are in. It serves as a signpost to where God's people are going. And it is a dance which can show the world the love of God that is on offer to everyone. Most weddings in our culture uh, involve a moment when the husband and wife dance together before everyone else. And this is a moment that is often dreaded by at least one party um, within uh, the marriage, uh, but they happen. Here's 
Joel and Sarah looking very romantic in their first dance. See who else we've got here. There's Chris and Jen, really going for it in their first dance. Here's Katrina and Jonathan, whose dance involved so many moves and complications and amazement, everyone was stunned. And there's my favourite. If you are married, there is a dance that you are called by God to dance. And he will give you the grace to do so. And today we're going to look at what that dance is and how we can dance it. Now if you're not married, you're realising by this stage that there's going to be a lot of talk about marriage in this preach. And you're thinking, I should have come this evening (laughs) when Alice is going to talk about singleness. Well, you should come this evening because it's going to be good. But Hebrews 13 verse 4 commands us, let marriage be held in honour by all. So all of us are to understand what marriage is about, to respect what God has done with it. And to look at a marriage, to look at a Christian marriage, should enable you to see the love that God has for you. It should point you towards what you will one day experience. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to speak to you as well and say God is always talking to us. You've maybe walked here this morning and thought, this is just a beautiful day. Why do I like this so much? You may have had questions just running around your head. You may be watching things in the news and stuff and think, there must be more to life than what I'm currently experiencing. God's always talking to us. And today I want to show you that he talks through marriage as well. We heard briefly from Ephesians 5, that's what Andrew read at the end of that video. We're now going to read a larger chunk uh, of that chapter to see how marriages can display the gospel. And this passage that we're going to read contains some of the most controversial writing in the New Testament. So we're going to read it, and then I'm going to try to explain it, and finally we'll look at one way to apply it. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
So, there are words and ideas in this passage that will have worried some of you. And there has been much misunderstanding and misuse of the principles that Paul gives here. And so we need to think about it carefully. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm basically going to bring a whole load of caveats and explanations first, and then we'll look at how to work this out. So the first thing to say is that what Paul writes here about marriage is not the only way that we have been given to understand marriage. So when you're a married couple or when you're looking at marriage and you're thinking, how am I to understand what this relationship should be like? This is a very important thing for you to read and understand, but it's not the only thing for you to read and understand about marriage. Christian marriage is between two people who both acknowledge that they are sinners in need of God's grace. And that is not the case with Christ and the church. But it is the case with every human marriage that there is. This means there's no scope for thinking that the husband is given the role of displaying how Christ treats the church because men are perfect and women are not. You'd think we were clear on that. The Bible is very clear on that. I'm just making sure that we are certain on that. So that's one other way of thinking about marriage that you need to think about. Elsewhere also, Paul says that the husband's body does not belong to him. It belongs to his wife. And says to the wife, wife, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to your husband. They are both owned by each other. So we need to think about that as well. Marriage is also the context for conceiving and raising children. But this will not be happening in the eternal marriage of Christ and the church. And so that aspect of it is vital and important, but other to what we're looking at today. And so when thinking about how marriage works, there is more to consider than the purpose of displaying Christ and the church's relationship. But that is what we're looking at today. Second thing, let's define submission. Submission is the voluntary yielding of authority to another. We surrender our preferences to someone else. All Christians are called to do this. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. So all Christians are called to do this. It has almost entirely negative connotations in our culture. This is a word that makes people flinch or be fearful or be angry. And that's understandable in many ways. I mean, look around at how this uh, idea might be used or misused. It makes us wary. It should make us cautious. But it shouldn't stop us from working out what God is saying when he's saying this to us and seeking to apply it. Because submission, real biblical submission, is Christ-like. Jesus submitted. In the garden, the night before he died, he prayed to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And his submission to the Father's will is celebrated in the Bible as the most wonderful thing. He was not forced into submitting to his Father He delighted to do so. He didn't give up his intelligence by submitting, but he used it fully to do so perfectly. And he was glorified because of this. 
Because he submitted, God raised him up. And this also means that both men and women have the privilege of illustrating Christ to the world. Men in their sacrificial, husbands, sorry, in their sacrificial leadership, wives in their sacrificial submission. Paul's also very clear that a husband who wants to lead his wife into sin and says, well, I'm the husband, so you've got to do it, is not to be followed. And the good marriages that we see in the Bible show us the marriage is meant to be a dynamic partnership between two equals. Also, what is said about how a husband and a wife relate to each other is not how men and women are meant to relate to each other in general. Paul says very specifically, he says, wives, submit to your own husband. That's the scope of it. Hannah Anderson and Wendy Alsop say, a wife submits to her husband not because he is a man, but because he is her husband and has committed himself to certain vows and duties in the context of their marriage. The metaphor that the New Testament uses to describe how all Christian men are meant to relate to each other is brothers and sisters, all of us under the loving authority of our Heavenly Father. So this is a very specific and very important way of understanding how submission works. Third area that we need to explain, and that is the good design of gender differences. You can listen to a preach uh, from a couple of weeks ago in the evening called What is Gender, which, will go, which goes into this in a bit more detail. And there are loads of notes on the website uh, for you to explore more of this. We're just going to summarize it quickly here because it's important to understand how marriage works. And again, if you're not a Christian here today, this is going to be challenging to you because I'm going to say that God made us with a purpose, that we are creatures made by a creator rather than blank slates uh, or, or an independent unit working out who they are and what they should do. The Bible says it's not that way around. The Bible says God made us with purpose and it's good news. And the Bible starts with this creation story that is full of pairings. These pairings fit each other and relate to each other. So you have heaven and earth. You have day and night, land and sea, plants and creatures. And these pairings conclude and peak with man and woman. Humans are unlike anything else in all of creation. We alone are made in the image of God. Both man and woman carry the dignity of being made in God's likeness. Both are full of divine potential, which should be encouraged to flourish in every area of life. And there are also differences between us. In Timothy Keller's phrase, we are equal but not equivalent. The Bible asserts that men and women have exactly the same worth, but it doesn't say that they are exactly the same. Now, because we've rebelled against God, and because when you rebel against God, you bring division into the world, and therefore we're divided from one another, these differences between men and women have often been exploited or abused. And that is a sin against God's intention. 
And you may be so aware of this from your own experience or maybe the experiences of others that even to hear about this is really difficult for you because you're used to difference meaning inferiority. It's not what God says. And something good being misused by someone else doesn't mean that you should stop using it. It means that we have to learn to use it rightly and teach others to do so as well. So these differences between men and women, such as they are, they are meant to uh, complement each other. They are meant to be brought together in harmony, just as heaven and earth are in harmony, as land and sea, as plants and animals. These pairings are meant to work together. The man plays to his strengths, and this blesses the woman. The woman plays to her strengths, and this blesses the man. And therefore, everyone is blessed, and everyone is involved. This isn't an accident of biology or a happy coincidence. God could have chosen to make us unisexual. We could have have been reproduced by ourselves or or just all existed the same kind of jet. He could have done that, but he had another purpose. God's design from the beginning is that when a man and woman are joined together in marriage and the two flesh become one, that they form this picture of Christ and his church. That is why biological sex exists. That's why male and female exists. That's why God made these pairings. So that when the man and woman come together, we would see Christ and the church. This means that two people of the same sex cannot achieve this. Because male and female are different from each other and Christ and the church are different from each other. You're meant to see that difference between them. It means that two people who happen to be really, really good friends can't do this. Because the union between Christ and the church is total. And it means that a marriage cannot be considered temporary. Because the covenant that Jesus has made with his church is eternal. Only a man and a woman joining together as husband and wife in lifelong union can paint this picture, can tell this story, can dance this way. Now, why, you might be asking, am I using the idea of dancing uh, when it doesn't appear in the text that we read? And that's an excellent question because in no way, shape or form, am I an expert on dancing? (laughs) But I think there's something in it that is helpful for explaining the words that we see and that we read in that text. Loving, respecting, cherishing, submitting, giving. These words are actions that involve movement towards the other. And they work only in relation to the other. They can't exist by themselves. You can't write a list of just one of them. They they only work as they move together. Neither the husband nor the wife is static in this relationship. Neither one of them gets to say, well, here I am and you need to revolve around me. My wishes are what you need to be shaped by. My personality, my preference is what you need to be shaped by. I don't need to do anything It's all about you. That's not what's being described here. 
And that's not what happens in dance, as far as I'm aware. In a dance like a waltz or a tango or a pas de deux in ballet, (laughs) (laughs) which I knew was a thing, I just had to look up the word. In these kind of dances, you see both the man and the woman fully involved. They are working together in harmony, but they are not doing exactly the same thing. So they are not mirroring each other. I know there are some types of dance where that does happen, but this kind of dance, that's not what happens. He leads and she responds to his leading. Now, immediately, we're using words, again, that have negative associations. We think of leading as an active thing and following as a passive thing. But this, this shouldn't ever be the case. A dance in which one partner drags the other around won't get much admiration. You can be dragged somewhere against your will, Or you can be dragged somewhere because you think it's up to the other person to do all the moving. And parents of small children will understand these scenarios. But neither of those are how dancing works. And nor are they how the church relates to Christ. Because he calls her to action with him. So neither bullying nor passivity have any place in a Christian marriage. The man's initiating movement is to be received and responded to by the woman so that they move together. He is not trying to dominate her and she is not trying to compete with him. His leadership and strength give her the opportunity and security to flourish in her God-given brilliance. He elevates her, sometimes literally. In a dance like this, neither the man nor the woman are independent. He is always taking account of her. And she is not trying to do her own thing, but be joined to him. Harmonious dancing is an incredible sight. It works when you are left in no doubt that there are two of them, but that they are one. You should know by how they move together, how they are constantly caring for each other and relating to each other, that he loves her and she loves him. That the sweat pouring off him and the lactic acid quivering through him have been happily spent on her behalf. And that she is a willing partner and accomplice in all that they have done together. I worked hard Paul observed, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is the gospel. And this is what marriage should be like. So for those of you who aren't married but are hoping to be, choose your partner carefully. Women, marry someone you want to love and follow. Men, marry someone you want to protect and lead. And for those who are married, 
I want us to end by looking at one key quality that both husbands and wives should be looking to bring to their marriage if it's to show the world this love that Christ has for the church and she has for him. There's loads more that can be said, but we've got time for one. And I think it's important. It is sacrificial service. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think that is probably the most important phrase a husband should have in his head as he is assessing how he is relating to his wife. And when he's making decisions, he needs to be thinking this all the time. Is this thought, is this word, is this action equivalent to how Jesus loves the church? That must be his criteria. The model that Jesus has given us and the role that we are playing The part we are called to illustrate is this, that as you die to self, you give life to others. That is what a husband is called to do. Giving our time, giving our strength, giving up our preferences. There is absolutely no way that a Christian husband can justify acting in an overbearing manner when the pattern of Jesus is so unlike that. Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and just in case they hadn't got it, he said to them, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. He said it elsewhere as well. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. People need to see the extraordinary sacrificial love of Jesus. Husbands, do they see that in you? The church also learns to make sacrifices. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so a wife demonstrates the church's response to Jesus with how she responds to her husband. She gives herself wholly to him. She follows his lead. She even exchanges her name For his. We've already seen that this is not a passive thing, this is not an unthinking thing, this is not a secondary inferior role. It is active, it requires consideration and skill and grace. It feels like a sacrifice. It is. And just as overbearing is a sin in husbands, So undermining is a temptation that wives must flee from. 
attempting to, to weaken his position when you're discussing things, recalling his previous mistakes in order to assert himself, refusing to give him the respect that will bring the best out of him. These things are not as the church relates to Christ and so ought not be how a wife relates to her husband. My observation of these two things is that as a husband does his role as he should, it becomes easier and easier for a wife to enjoy her role as she should. But self-sacrifice is difficult for anyone who is infected with pride, and all of us are. It's even more challenging in a culture like ours which prizes freedom, autonomy, personal fulfilment. says, these are the goals. This is what you should be aiming for. And therefore, anything you're doing should point towards that. Therefore, your marriage should help you become more free, more autonomous, more fulfilled. And the Bible says, no. That's not what it's about. That's why you're hearing this and being like, This sounds difficult. This sounds not like what I'm used to hearing. It's not like what you're used to hearing. Marriages that display the gospel tell a different story, a better story, one that everyone needs to know. And they will see it, they will work it out when they see Christian marriages displaying it. And if this means this self-sacrifice on both parts that you can sometimes look at a marriage and feel like it's just spinning around with both of them saying, no, I want what you prefer. No, I want what you prefer. It's fine. (laughs) And if this means that you will... No, there's no if about this. This means that if you are married, you have to refuse to engage with the idea that the battle of the sexes should be located in your marriage means when someone says to you, you didn't let him win, did you? You didn't let her win, did you? Christ and his church are not in competition. They give up everything for each other. It's it's absolutely, foundationally different because it's going somewhere different. The more we think about and celebrate this wonderful gospel and the more we ask God's Holy Spirit to work in us, the more we are able to live this out. Once again, you just you think this through, you think, oh, how am I to live this out? And then you read the fruits of the Holy Spirit. What happens as we cooperate with him and let him work in our lives? We think, ha, huh, that's how we'll do it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That ought to do it. Thank God that we, his people, have a wonderful husband who is able to help us so perfectly. So we're going to finish up. I've put on the notes for small groups, which your small group leaders will have already and will be on the website on Tuesday, a whole load more resources on this because we've we've more than scratched the surface, but there's a lot more that can be said. Also, I want to let you know, uh, married couples, uh, this week I think we'll be publishing details of a marriage day that we are going to be having in a couple of months' time. It's a retreat, an opportunity uh, for you to get away uh, together to be freshly inspired and refreshed in your marriages. Husbands and wives, pray for yourself and for your spouse that God would give you the grace 
for this great task. Because he wants to. And you might think, and I appreciate this, you might think, man, marriage is hard enough already. <laughs> you set me this huge challenge. It's by reaching this challenge. It's by living with this sense of purpose that your marriage will flourish best. And God will give you the grace you need to do so. And if you aren't married, pray for those who are. And keep seeing in their marriages what God wants you to see about his love for you. I know that this will be mixed sometimes with the chill of loneliness and the smile of the hand-holding that you wish you could experience. Look through that to the day when you will see Jesus smiling at you, when he will take your hand, when you will say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Husbands, talk to your wives about this. Today is the day, even if today is the time we say, let's, let's properly talk about this at some other point, but I'd love us to talk about this. And wives, respond to him when he does so. Think about how you can share what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and be honest and encouraging. Together, work out how your marriage can do this and how you can help each other to do this. This Wednesday is Valentine's Day, which will be a reminder for some of you, um, if that matters. It's also the first day of Lent. It's the start of the journey to Easter. What does it tell us about life? What does it tell us about God? That marriage would be the picture that tells us the story that we're all in, that he would choose and use marriage to help us understand the ultimate in reality. It tells us that we aren't random flickers in a cold, impersonal universe. It tells us that there is a relational heart beating at the centre of things. It tells us that we can be loved. Let's pray that every marriage here shows that. And let's pray that every person here puts their hope in that love and nothing less. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you have searched so many of us out and won us to yourself. That you gave up your life that we might have life with you. And that you call us now to be your co-laborers, to be your partners Thank you so much. We've got this beautiful hope to come. Eternity with you in joy, in unity. Help each one of us now, whatever our status is, to anticipate that, to share about it with others. I pray for husbands to have the grace to understand what it means to play the role of, to illustrate Christ. And you give grace to wives to understand what it is to play the role and to illustrate the church. And that together their marriage would shine light in a dark world and bring hope and love where there is none. Lord, we need huge amounts of your grace. We need your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much that you are such a willing giver. Help us to hold marriage in honour. And more importantly, hold forth 
your gospel to the world. Amen.